Thank you for being here in worship. And if you're in our overflow room, thank you for joining us as well as those of you who are watching online. Uh, thank you as well. So my first job out of seminary was at a church in North Georgia uh, doing student ministry. And there was a point in my ministry that I noticed a lot of the teenagers wearing very similar t-shirts. Um, they were obviously all made by the same company. That They had the same style. They had the same font. Same look to them, all with a slightly different message. Um, one would read, life is baseball, the rest is just details. And it would have a picture of a baseball in the center of the shirt. Another might read, life is volleyball, the rest is just details. And it would have a picture of a uh, volleyball in the middle of the shirt. Um, one, life is cheerleading, um, life is football, life is basketball. All these different shirts, maybe a dozen or more, all very similar in style, all with a message that was very similar, life is, and whatever the sport was, it filled in the blank. And I would see students wearing these shirts, and I would say, oh yeah, he's a baseball player, oh yeah, she's a cheerleader, or she plays softball. Yeah, I, I know that, and that's why they're wearing that shirt. They're just proclaiming uh, their enjoyment for that particular sport. But there was this point that I thought, okay, wait a second. <clears throat> what if we take the message of those t-shirts, not as hyperbole, but we take them quite literally. Let's just pretend for a moment that we take one of those t-shirts and we take the message on that shirt very literally. Now let's do baseball, for example. It's baseball season. It's probably a good example to you. So life is baseball. The rest is just details. If that is your philosophy in life, what does it look like? Well, that means that baseball is your first priority and everything else falls way down the list after that. So playing baseball, watching baseball, practicing baseball, buying things to be able to play baseball, all of that is number one and everything else falls down the list after that. Or maybe a better way to phrase it is all of life would revolve around baseball, which is at the center. So everything else that you do in life all points back to baseball. If you have a job, for example, the only reason you have that job is to earn money to then buy stuff so you can play baseball or to buy tickets to go to baseball games or to be able to you know, be a better player and so you get trained so that you can play baseball um, much better. Everything in life points to that. If your job ever starts to interfere with baseball, then you immediately quit and you get another job. All your relationships point to baseball. If a relationship ever gets in the way of baseball, you immediately quit that relationship so that you can concentrate on baseball. Baseball is the first priority, and everything else is secondary or tertiary compared to that first priority, which is baseball. I'll confess to you that I am a fan of the old show, Seinfeld. It's a little weird to me to call that an old show, but I realize that some of you millennials in here are like, oh, I think I've heard of that. That's that old show that comes on in reruns. So if you're not familiar with that old show, uh, in that sitcom, Elaine is a main character. And there's one episode where she lends a very expensive tennis racket to a lady named Miss Landis. Miss Landis happens to be in upper management at a company where Elaine's trying to get a job. She lends her this tennis racket. Then she goes to the company, to her office, to try to retrieve this tennis racket. She walks into her office and she sees that Miss Landis has her arm in a cast, an injury that she sustained playing tennis. Here's the conversation that ensues. 
Landis, my doctor said it might never fully heal. I may never play tennis again. Oh, you'll be playing. If I can't play tennis, I don't know what I'll do. Oh, well, there are plenty of things you can do. There's chess and mahjong. You don't know how lucky you are to be healthy. And biking and what am I going to do? And hiking. If I can't play tennis, I have no reason to live. It's just a sitcom, right? It's, it's just meant to be funny, right? No one believes that, that if you can't ever play tennis again, there's no reason to live, right? No one really believes that life is baseball. Everything else is just details, right? We don't really believe those things, or do we? See, we all have a t-shirt that we wear. We all have a t-shirt, and the t-shirt says life is blank. The rest is just details, and that is how we live our life. And you may not even be able to express it verbally, what goes in that blank. You might not even know it uh, consciously, but we all have something that goes in that blank that is our first priority, that is our center, that is our main purpose for living, and the rest of life simply supports whatever that main purpose is. As you guys saw earlier, today is our Graduate Recognition Sunday, uh, where we recognize and pray for our graduates as they begin the next chapter of their life. Whatever that chapter is, whether it's college or going into the workforce or going into the military, this will be the time in their life, more than any other time of life, where they begin to explore and determine what goes in that blank. It is over the course of the next several years, from about 18 to about 25, when they ask the really deep questions of life. What is my center? What brings me fulfillment? What is there worthwhile in this world to devote my life to? What goes in the blank? Life is blank. The rest is just details. What word can I put in that blank? Now, for them, or honestly, any of us in this room, if we're going to try to determine what goes in the blank, we basically have two options. The first option is to go down as many different paths of life as possible and see if any of those paths happen to bring us the fulfillment that we're after. They, they fill the void that's in our heart. They bring us the happiness and joy that we are after. And so we can try all these different avenues. So maybe you think, well, potentially it's saving the environment. If I put that in the blank, life is saving the environment, maybe that's it. And so you devote all your time and all your resources and all your energy to saving the environment. You go as far down that path as you can possibly go. If it works, if you find fulfillment, if you find joy, if you find happiness, great. You've got your t-shirt. You're done. If it doesn't work, you back up out of that path and you try another path. Maybe sports. You go as far down that path as you can go, doing everything that you can to pursue sports. If it works, great. You've got your t-shirt. You're done. If it doesn't work, you back up out of that path and you try another path. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's some other area in life and you try all these different paths until you find the one that works then you've got your blank filled in. You've got your t-shirt. The problem is none of us can really do that. We don't have the time in life. We don't have the financial resources in life to fully pursue all of these different areas. So that's option number one, but it's not viable for most of us. But there's a second option. 
And the second option is to get the advice or to read about the experiences of others who have done exactly this, who have gone far down various paths of life and what they have to say about that experience and if it brought them fulfillment in life. This morning, that is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to read the journal of an individual who had the time and the power and the financial resources to go down several different paths of life and to to read about his experience doing that and what happened in his own heart and mind and whether or not he was able to find a word to put in the blank. This particular individual is named King Solomon. Solomon lived about 3,000 years ago, uh, about uh, 1,000 years before Christ. He was the third king over Israel. Uh, He was David's son. The thing about Solomon that we need to keep in mind is that he ruled over Israel during its heyday as a nation. Um, He was incredibly wealthy. He was incredibly powerful. Solomon had the ability, the power, the resources to really explore if there was anything in this life, anything worthwhile pursuing to go in that blank. So if you've got a Bible with you, the book of Ecclesiastes comes right after Proverbs. Uh, We're going to put this on the screen as well. Uh, So if if you want to do that, it's also on your message map. So here is how Solomon began his journal that we call Ecclesiastes. The words of the teacher, son of David. Now he calls himself the teacher because his journal was more than just his private diary. This was meant to teach others what he had learned as king. So he says, the words of the teacher, son of David, King David was his father, king in Jerusalem. Here's what he writes, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh Uh-oh, we've got a problem. Solomon got to this point in his life that he looked around at everything that he had and he said, it's meaningless, doesn't matter. Now here's what you have to keep in mind with Solomon. Solomon was incredibly wealthy. Scholars have tried to estimate what his wealth would be in today's dollars, and it's impossible to do so. But let's just say it would be the tens of billions of dollars. If he wanted to buy Twitter, he could do so several times. Incredibly, incredibly wealthy. King over this powerful nation. If you grew up going to science school, the other thing you know about Solomon is that he had seven hundred wives and 300 concubines and because he was king they would have been among the most beautiful women that were available to him from Israel and the nations around Israel. Solomon had the world by the tail and yet he arrived at this point in his life and he said meh. Looked at everything and said meh. Everything I've got, everything I've acquired, everything there is to do in life, meh. I don't know, just doesn't matter. You kids want to go graduate from high school and go to college? That's good, go. If you don't, don't go. Doesn't matter, meh. You want to get married? Great, get married. You don't, don't get married. Doesn't matter. It's all meaningless. 
Just un- You want to have kids? Great, have kids. You don't? Don't have kids. You want to get a tattoo? Get a tattoo. You don't? Don't get a tattoo. Doesn't matter. He got to this point where everything was meaningless. Well, Solomon, like any of us, didn't want to stay in that philosophical, emotional state. And so he set out on this quest to determine if there was anything that could free him from this melancholy feeling. If he could find purpose and meaning in life. If he could just find a word to go into the blank. And so in the next several chapters, that's exactly what he does. And he records what he finds. And so this was Solomon's pursuit of happiness. The first path that he went down, fully went down, was the path of knowledge. Look at, it, look at what he wrote. First chapter. Verse 12, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. This is a path of knowledge. I'm going to see if I can learn everything there is to learn about this world in which we live. Here's what he wrote. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Now this verse sounds a little braggadocious. I mean, he sounds like I'm the smartest one who has ever ruled over Jerusalem. But it was true. And he was not saying this to brag. He was saying this to make a point that we will come to later. Then he says, Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. When you read the story of Solomon's life, you, you discover that he was an expert in biology and botany and architecture. Here was a guy that in today's terms had multiple PhDs. In his castle, he had diplomas that just lined the walls. And, and it was across various fields. He was a guy who was like a renaissance man, but he wasn't just kind of good in all these different areas. He was the best. This guy knew so much about so many different areas of life. In fact, when you read scripture, you find that kings and queens from nations around Israel would come to Solomon, would come to Jerusalem, would come to the castle, and they would sit at the feet of Solomon to listen to him talk about life, and about all that he had learned. All these things where he was an expert. And he said, I applied myself to understanding the world around us. And then I figured out, it doesn't work. I put knowledge in the blank, and I realized that it's just meaningless. That it's a chasing after the wind. What is the purpose of chasing after the wind? There is none. You will never catch it. Knowledge, he said, is meaningless. Now I realize I am right now in a whole lot of trouble with a lot of moms and dads in here who are like, you know, I can barely get my teenager to study as is, and now the pastor is saying that there's no purpose in knowledge. Hey, moms, dads, I'm just preaching the Bible. (laughs) Now listen, the Bible's very clear. Knowledge is a worthwhile pursuit. Please understand that. The Bible is very clear that 
that God has given us the ability to learn about this world that we live in and that we need to pursue that with everything that we've got. Let me give you one tip. For those of you who are headed off to college, I wish someone had given me this advice before I went to school. When you go to college, someone is paying for that education. It may be you. It may be your mom and dad. It may be a scholarship that you got and somebody gave to that scholarship fund for you to get that scholarship. Someone is paying for that education. You or somebody else, you are paying for a service. Do not cheat yourself. Do not cheat yourself of the service that you are paying for. Do not skip class. If you skip class, that's like ordering food on DoorDash having it delivered to your house and then just letting it sit on your front porch and never eating it. You're wasting that money. You you need to take advantage of what you are paying for. You're paying for a service. You're paying a professor who has studied and studied and studied to impart to you information that they have studied. You are paying for a service. Take advantage of that, that service. The Bible is very clear. We are to pursue knowledge. However, Solomon makes it also clear that that word cannot be in the blank. So Solomon takes his life is knowledge t-shirt, he takes it off, and he throws it away. Then he tries another path. The second path that he attempts is the pursuit of pleasure. Solomon thinks, well, maybe, maybe life is not about knowledge. Maybe it's the whole eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Maybe it is through pleasure that I can find happiness in life. And here's what he recorded. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. That also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? So again, keep in mind here with Solomon. He, unlike a lot of us, he had the kind of money where he could go down this path as far as was humanly possible. He mentions here laughter. This wasn't just going to a show and watching a comedian. He would bring the comedian in to the castle for him and his friends. This wasn't just any kind of entertainment. He had the best entertainment that was available. Imagine in our day, whatever the concert is you want to go to, the very best seats, The sporting event, box seats, the best sporting events, the championship, the World Series, the best seats, the pass to the locker room afterwards. Anything that you want, the Broadway shows, the movie premieres, all of that. He said, I pursued entertainment as far as I could go. And it proved to be meaningless. He goes on to say, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, it wasn't falling down drunk. I had the best wines. I had the best food. I had the best of anything around, but I wasn't using it foolishly. I, I, I was drinking in moderation. And yet, at the end of the day, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And yet, at the end of the day, It did not do it. It proved to be meaningless. So again, two things about Solomon. One, incredibly wealthy. Number two, 700 wives and 300 concubines. There was no pleasure 
under the heavens, not available to Solomon. He went as far down that path as one could go, and yet he got to the end of that path and he said, it doesn't work. The word pleasure on the t-shirt, it doesn't work. He takes that t-shirt off and he throws it away. So then he says, well, here's one more I can try. So this time I'm going to try to pursue accomplishments. So knowledge didn't work, pleasure didn't work. Let me see if I can do it through my accomplishments. And here's, here's what he wrote. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So here's what Solomon's saying in this part. That he was the most successful in his career, more so than anyone before him. He essentially built a great nation. I mean, here you see the CEO taking the corporation to his zenith. I mean, here he says, yeah, I developed these houses and building projects, and I had gardens and fruit trees and all these things. I had male and female slaves. I had this vast company. And one of the things that he doesn't mention here that he did was that he got to construct or oversee the construction of the temple, Solomon's temple, the greatest temple in, in Jerusalem, in Israel. And so Solomon here says, I did all of this. I did all of this. Think about in our, our day, those individuals that you think of that we call goats, greatest of all time. So think about in certain fields. You know, people say, well, who's the greatest quarterback ever? Tom Brady. Maybe somebody throws another name in there, but Tom Brady is the guy. You know, think about in business, Warren Buffett. Think about in technology, Steve Jobs. You know, this is the individual who went further than anyone else could go. They are the greatest. Without a doubt, they have done so much. Solomon was that guy. He accomplished everything that was possible to be accomplished in his day under the sun. And here is what he wrote. I amassed silver and gold for myself, super, super rich, and the treasure of kings and provinces. Yet... Yet, when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon goes down all these paths and he gets to the end of each one and he says, doesn't work. None of it works. There is nothing under the sun that works. There is nothing in all of creation that you can put in the blank that works. And then Solomon died. Pretty depressing, right? You know, you're ready to sing and go home. If we leave it on that note, it's pretty depressing. And if you read to the end of Ecclesiastes where Solomon quit recording his journal, it gets pretty depressing. Somebody came along later and they finished Solomon's journal. And here is what they wrote. The end of the whole matter, let us hear. Fear God and keep his commands for this is the whole of man. Listen to me, listen to me. Here's what he was saying. Solomon was right. 
There is nothing under the sun that can go in the blank. Solomon was right. There is nothing in all of creation that can go in the blank. You have to look outside of what is under the sun. And you have to look to the creator, not the created, for the word that goes in the blank. And he's not saying that you can't enjoy all that we have in creation. He's not saying that none of these things matter at all. He's not saying that you can't enjoy accomplishments and knowledge and pleasure, all these things that God has given to us. One of the things that I do in my free time, my side job, is as a baseball coach for rec league. And every year that I'm coaching baseball, I will tell the boys this. Guys, you need to know that baseball is a wonderful sport, but a lousy God. And here's the irony. If you treat it that way, as a sport and not a God, you will enjoy it more. That is true for all of us with all of life. Here is is what the person who concluded Ecclesiastes was saying. Life will be better. Life will be more fulfilling. If the center, if you fill in the blank with life is Christ, the rest is just details. That everything else revolves around that. That we enjoy everything else. But it never takes a place that it was never intended to take. That God did not invent any of those things to be the word that could fill in the blank. And be the primary joy of our hearts. And the irony is, when you do that, when Christ is at the center of your life, then you're able to enjoy the rest of life so much more.